privilege to be here this morning and uh, to join you in worship. Thank you to the worship team who led us. This is, uh, if you've ever stood up here, you know it's a little different to be up here. When you look out, it's a little bright. It's hard to see faces and uh, it's a little bit of a different experience. And last year when I was here, um, I couldn't tell if you guys were laughing with me or at me or even laughing. And so this year I'm going to squint a little more to try to be able to tell. We, we have the privilege of having inherited uh, Kevin Souder from you this week. He began with us at Living Hope Community Church. And, and sort of an interesting thing that happened to Kevin uh, this week is that um, he was preparing to preach tonight at our summer fest, and so he got a message that David Beakley had preached earlier and was trying to get in the flow of the series that we're doing on Sunday evenings uh, during our Summerfest series. And uh, he said Friday morning as he stood in the office, as I just got there, he said, you know, it was kind of strange. He said, I put that tape in and I was listening and suddenly I saw Cummings Lane and I thought, I went to Washington instead of Bartonville. It takes a little while to get in the flow when you have those transitions, doesn't it? Now that's when you're supposed to laugh, okay? I am watching, I'm looking, and that was funny, okay? We got, we got to have a, uh, 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 an understanding here because uh, I've always felt that if you could make people laugh, then they were kind of with you. And uh, your pastor and I have a, a real special relationship, and I'm so thankful for him. He just turned 33 this week, right? Isn't that right, Whitney? And... Uh, and so that means that he's uh, just uh, a little less than 16 years my junior, but I, I really view him as a spiritual mentor in a lot of ways. And uh, he looks to me for some advice too. Uh, he got me back into the marathoning thing. Uh, last summer, he and Whitney were getting ready for the Chicago Marathon, and, and I thought, why am I not running marathons? I, I love that. And so started building my mileage, and my wife bought me this, GPS watch. It's a Garmin GPS watch and it maps and keeps track of your miles, gives you splits, accurate distance measurements and uh, so she got that for me and when Daniel decided to do another marathon he decided he was going to get a Garmin. So he calls me up one day and he, he says, Art, you gotta take my password and and get on my account and look what I've just done. I thought, okay, he wants to show me a really good workout that he just did. Okay, he's really excited. And, you know, I'm excited for him when, when he does hard workouts, good workouts. And so I got on there, and I looked at this. See, what the Garmin does is it will map your course out. So it'll give you a picture of the course that you ran. And so I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, what in the world is going on here? So I just assumed that what happened was that Ellie had gotten a hold of the Garmin and had run through the backyard because it was just in the field behind Daniel's house and it was just a bunch of squiggly lines. And I'm like, you know, I'm not getting it. Do they have a dog? Maybe the dog got the Garmin GPS and ran through the backyard. I am just not getting it. So I get on the phone with Daniel. He says, no, no, now look, okay, see that line going up? Act like there's a line going across and it hit me. He had run through the field behind his house and spelled out my name. <laughs> my wife said, Oh, it's your best buddy. Oh, that's so sweet. 
It is a special relationship. And uh, just about a week and a half ago, I came over and we ran uh, together. And, and the thing that uh, really struck me about Daniel Bennett is that he loves Washington. He loves this community. And he loved kind of showing me around and he would see some people out while we were out running, saying hi to people, even people who uh, attend Bethany Community Church. And so what a blessing it is to have him in my life. And it's a thrill to be here to uh, preach in his stead. Now, what I found out last year when he replaced me over there and I came over here was that they laughed at him a lot more than you laughed at me. So, so we're going we're gonna to give it a shot. Not that I have a lot of funny things in here, but I just want to prepare you to really engage with me. So we get good reports afterwards. Well, this morning I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Now, Kevin also gave me a lot of details that I hadn't formerly had. He told me that this bench, this stool is not to sit on. That Matt Morgan made that mistake and it was reported to Daniel and he said he sat down while he was preaching. What was he thinking? So it's for water and Lee got me some water. I appreciate that, Lee. But I want to invite you to turn to uh, Romans chapter 8. We at Living Hope are doing a series through the book of Romans. We've been in it for a little over a year now, and we have finally come to Romans chapter 8. And, and the passage that we want to cover is, is really just a couple of verses in Romans chapter 8. It's verses 16 and 17, and they really unfold for us uh, some of the privilege of being children of God. Uh, Paul has begun this glorious chapter by telling us that for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, for those who have entered into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their sin bearer, as their Savior, they now face a future of no condemnation. What an amazing truth that is. And then Paul begins to unfold some of the aspects of the assurance of the believer. And one of the aspects of the assurance of the believer is that they no longer live according to the flesh. They are putting to death the deeds of the flesh and now living according to the Spirit. And Romans chapter 8 has introduced to us the blessing of the Holy Spirit, the inheritance of having received the Holy Spirit so that we are now empowered to live godly lives. Remember, at the end of Romans chapter 7, Paul says he sort of unfolds that tragic part of uh, coming to recognition of your sin. He says, the wretched man, this wretched man that I am, who can save me? And then he talks about the Holy Spirit imparted into the life of a believer. But as he goes through this, he, he gets to this point where he talks to us about uh, having the Holy Spirit. And part of the assurance of having the Holy Spirit is that we now have this relationship with God who is no longer just creator God uh, of whom we fear, but he is a loving Heavenly Father with whom we have a loving relationship with, with whom we can actually cry out verse 15 of Romans chapter 8, Abba, Father. Such a precious, tender, loving relationship. I remember several years ago having this kind of breakthrough spiritual understanding where I was watching one of my young children play in the yard and and, you know, knowing my children as I do, I know that I know uh, their sin natures, I know their faults, and, and I'm not uh, deceived about that. But as I was watching this young one, whom I promised not to mention by name, 
I was just overwhelmed by my love for this little one. And it sort of hit me right then and there. That's how God feels about me. God's not deceived about my sin. God is not blinded by my faults, about my faults, to my faults. But yet he thinks, wow, what a special one. And, and that's part of what we're talking about when we're talking about this Abba Father relationship between the child of God and God the Heavenly Father. And the benefit of having the Holy Spirit comes to us now uh, in verse 16 again. As Paul writes to us these words, if you would follow along in your Bibles, Romans 8, 16, the Spirit Himself, this is God in you, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, how do we overcome doubt as we walk through this life, well, God gives us the blessing of the Holy Spirit in us to remind us that we are His beloved children. Verse 17, And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. That's a huge, huge statement there. Let me read verse 17 again. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that, in order that, we may also be glorified with Him. The beginning of August, our family had the blessing of going to Orlando, Florida to go to Disney World. Our kids, especially the younger three, were so excited, so excited. I mean, you know, the whole week before their countdown, how many more nights do we have to go to sleep before we get on the plane and go out? It's just, even the older ones, hey, I'm really looking forward to this. And as we got on this bus that took us from the airport to the hotel that we were staying on the resort, now it was the one of those outer lying ones, kind of the, the uh, kind of way out, but as we came to the resort, there was this big sign that said, Welcome to Disney World, something like that. If you go there and you see a different sign, I'm just not remembering it quite correctly. But the bus driver then said, We are in Disney World, you know. And, and what I hear behind me and beside me with my kids is just, especially the younger three, well, only the younger three, just these squeals of excitement squeals of excitement, audible squeals from Katie and Wilson and Judith. And as we get to the hotel, you know, it was like any other hotel, really, except there were some visible signs that we were in uh, the Disney World Resort. There were bedspreads that had the little Mickey outline on them. Uh, there were uh, pictures and characters, Disney characters, uh, statues around. There was the gift store that we were trying to hold our kids at bay to go to until the end. And, and so there was all of this excitement, but you know what? We weren't really there yet, were we? We were there, but we weren't really there yet. Sometimes, sometimes we know that we're there, but we aren't really experiencing in a certain situation the fullness of all that we are excited about. 
Do you know what I mean, that, that sort of already but not yet sense? In fact, it wasn't until later that day when we made our way to the Magic Kingdom that, that we came close enough to see that top turret of the castle. And, and we're thinking, man, we're, we're really getting close now. But it wasn't yet. We weren't there yet. And it wasn't around until we walked through and got around a couple of buildings that we could look down Main Street and see that castle and think, wow, we're here. We're here. There's the castle. Placing faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, for forgiveness of our sins, for entrance into the kingdom of God is like that, isn't it? There is so much that we gain here and now by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, but it pales in comparison. In fact, Paul's going to say that in verse 18, that it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed to us in the age to come. It pales in comparison to what lies ahead. And fixing our mind on the future reward has the capacity to strengthen us, to sustain us through the difficulties of this life, the difficulties that lie before us here and now. Can you imagine... Can you imagine if God's Word told us that this is as good as it gets? Placing your faith in Jesus Christ uh, and living on this plane of existence is as good as it gets. Can you imagine that? If any of you are like me, you have experienced a lot of difficulties. You know that there are trials ahead, and, and that would be too much to bear, wouldn't it? If you and I were told that being born again was just one big self-improvement strategy aimed at helping you lead a more peaceful, more fruitful existence here and now, that would be too much to bear. You know, but it's interesting because some Christians actually try to justify placing your faith in Jesus Christ as just that. I heard someone not long ago tell me that they were witnessing to a friend and they said an unbeliever and they said now listen if you're wrong and you don't place your faith in Jesus Christ well then you're going to go to hell but if I'm wrong having placed my faith in Jesus Christ then the worst case scenario is that I've lived a good life I've done some good no harm no foul they said and I said wait that's not what the Bible says the Apostle Paul says that if we have hoped in Christ for this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul says if the dead in Christ aren't raised, and if we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. This morning, I want so badly to fix in your mind in your Christian mindset, the reality that for the believer, the fullness of our hope is in the wholeness of our future glorification. It's not in this life. The fullness of our hope, the hope of God's children, is not only salvation in this age, salvation that brings forgiveness of your sins, salvation that brings peace with God, salvation that brings the power to say no to sin and ungodly patterns and lifestyles, but ultimately the salvation that brings 
the hope of our future glorification. That's what Paul wants to remind us of in Romans 8, verses 16 and 17. If we are God's children, then we are heirs of God. And we are co-heirs of Christ. If indeed, what does the passage say? Look at it again. Look at verse 17. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified together with Him. Paul introduces to us a subject of our future glorification. Actually, he introduced it first in chapter 5. But this subject of future glorification is so important. And yet, you know what? We don't think about it enough. Truth be told, we don't think about our future glorification enough. Why is that? Well, it could be because our culture is all based on immediate gratification. And, it, 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 and, and that philosophy of immediate gratification impacts the very gospel that is proclaimed. Did you know that? It's a gospel that says, hey, you know what? Believe in Jesus Christ and you can have your best life now. Have you ever seen any books that say that? Titles like that? The gospels being preached like that? Your best life now. But that's a different gospel than the gospel that Jesus Christ came to proclaim. That's a different gospel than the gospel that Paul is proclaiming to us here in the book of Romans. The gospel that Christ proclaimed is a gospel of inheritance, receiving a future glorification and present suffering. Wow. It's not a message you hear very often, is it? Daniel probably asked me to preach that here because it's a hard one to preach. No, he didn't. He would not be afraid to preach the same message. And so this morning, I want for us to see two aspects of our inheritance through faith in Jesus Christ. The children of God receive glorification in the future, the passage tells us. But secondly, it's going to tell us that the children of God receive suffering in the present. Let's go ahead and deal with this first aspect of our inheritance that Paul brings to us. He says, we, the, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, we receive an inheritance, Paul says. We are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that, ultimate goal, aiming towards the goal, we may be glorified with Him in the future. You know, I've asked myself the question, why is it that this is such a, uh, a, a silent message? It could be that we Christians don't think more about glorification because it is not taught often. We are bound up in uh, teaching messages that can help to grow our churches that sort of scratch where we itch and so we are uh, caught up in teaching messages solid messages yet about uh, how to live godly here and now and those are important messages you know the series on raising godly children uh, the series that we teach on having godly marriages the series that we teach on how to be godly employees or employers those are all very important but what fuels success listen what fuels success in each of those areas is a growing understanding and a growing desire for future glorification that awaits 
every true believer. Let me give you a sense of this glorification that Paul is talking about. He's written about it elsewhere. It's been written elsewhere in the Bible about. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, look down there with me. It says, And those He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. In other words, glorification is the very bullseye that your salvation is aiming for. It's what it's all about. Paul wants us to understand that. And I want to relate to you what I believe are three aspects of our future glorification that are relevant to us that we might understand, that we might grow with respect to it all under this aspect of the children of God receive glorification in the future. The first aspect that I want to place before you of our future glorification is our glorified presence. Our glorified presence. I'll explain what I mean. Jesus said in John 14, as He's comforting His disciples before He went to the cross, He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Remember that? He said, you believe in God, believe also in Me. He said, in My Father's house there are many rooms, many places. And I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, then certainly I will come back and receive you to myself. And so when I talk about the glorified presence, I'm talking about being in the glorified presence of Jesus Christ. Christ returning for all of His believers, gathering them to Himself to be wherever He is forevermore. It ought to stagger our imagination that Jesus Christ, the glorified Jesus Christ, is going to return for us. What a glorious day that will be, amen? What a glorious day. Peter says, in fact, elsewhere, that we will marvel at His appearing. Do you ever think about that? What's it going to be like when He appears just marveling at His glorious appearance? when we lay eyes on the One who, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who actually loves us and gave Himself for us. You know, I mentioned a spiritual breakthrough in understanding that God loved, loves me. His love for me exceeds my love for my little ones. Another spiritual breakthrough that I had was in the midst of a worship experience at a conference, you know, oftentimes we pastors have to get away to really, really have that worship experience because on a Sunday morning we're worried about all the details of the service. We're worried about who's there, who's not, how we're going to forget people when we pray for them, and all of those things. And so you go away to these conferences and, and you, you get caught up in a worship experience in a way that, and that's why it's so healthy for you to, to send your pastors away to do that. And so we were worshiping through music. And it was such a glorious time. So many people singing praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that midst of that worship experience, in my mind's eye, I imagine Jesus Christ being at the center of our song and the center of our praise. And what I saw was not Him simply basking in our praise, but basking in the ones that He had purchased with His own blood the glorious presence of our Lord Jesus Christ 
when not only are we worshiping Him, but He is, he is so enamored with those whom He has purchased. We need to look forward to our future glorification, that time when we are with Jesus Christ, the One who gave Himself for us so that we might forever be with Him. But not only our glorified presence, our glorified person. That's what we often think about when we think about future glory. We think about how we're going to receive glorified bodies. Is anyone excited about that? Now, some of you aren't sure because you're not sure what it's supposed to look like. I don't either. You know, I don't know what we're going to look like. I don't really want to have legs that are bronze. You know, that picture of Christ with, you know, and I've got big enough legs already. I didn't like them all my life. And I, I don't know what it's supposed to look like, but Scripture tells us that we won't be disappointed. Scripture tells us that we will have this glorified body that will be transformed into conformity with His body. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. You know, one of the reasons I think that we struggle to look forward to our glorified body, are, are these all yours? Are these all yours? Man, those are, you've got as many, one, two, three, well, you've got as many as we do. Wow. Sorry. That's one of the great things about preaching. You really do get caught up and you see things and your mind is multitasking and you're thinking, sometimes you just say it. You just say what you're thinking. One of the reasons that I think we don't get more caught up in our glorified body is we just don't know enough about it, right? Like people say, well, um, how old are we going to be? You know, I heard someone say 33. I, why? That's how old Daniel is. That's why, right? It's as good as it gets for him, Whitney, okay? You can tell him I said that. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say how old we're going to be in our glorified body. Um, we know that we will enjoy food, but we won't be dependent upon it, Scripture says. Uh, we say because we'll be gathered to that feast. Uh, we know that we won't be dependent upon sleep. Uh, we will recognize one another. Did you know that? There on that Mount of Transfiguration, they recognized even those whom they had not met before, Moses and Elijah. We will recognize one another. We'll be somehow mysteriously related to those that we are related to here and now and fellowship with them with joy. We will be welcomed by those whom we have had a hand in uh, seeing come to Christ into eternal abodes. And so we'll be recognizing and, and enjoying. We'll receive this glorified body and we will rejoice, listen, that our glorified bodies will be impervious to sickness, impervious to death and decay What's more, did you know that we'll receive a glorified mind? Paul says if you're a child of God, you receive an inheritance of God and a co-heir with Christ, and you're going to be glorified, and you're going to have this glorified mind that 1 Corinthians 13 says that although now we see in a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. Although now we know in part, then we will know fully, just as we also have been fully known. So oftentimes we hear people say, yeah, man, when I get there, I'm going to ask God why he did this or why he did that. You know, maybe, but I just kind of think we're not going to care anymore. We're going to look at Christ and say, what? Suffering? Not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. That's not to, uh, not to take away any of the pain and the heartache that we suffer here and we wonder why. 
And yet, so glorious will our future existence be that it will melt away, I believe. Our glorified minds will be unencumbered by sin, unencumbered by the fall, and we will be gloriously caught up in learning and knowing more about our great God. Not only a glorified presence and person, person, but a glorified purpose. One of the things that draws us to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ here and now is a feeling of futility, a sense of frustration in our work, in our lives, in our bodies, in our relationships. But we will receive in our future glorification a, a future presence, uh, a future purpose rather, that will give us song for the rest of eternity. Why? Because we are children of God through faith, we will receive an inheritance from God. And when inheritance is discussed in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, Jesus says, for those of you who have followed me, you will sit on thrones and, and rule in the age to come. Paul says, do you not know that we will rule over the angels? We will rule saints? And so our inheritance will be a purpose to co-reign with Jesus Christ, co-heirs with Christ, doing work that is so satisfying and so enjoyable. You know, when God created, He gave mankind the authority to rule on His behalf, and it was, it was forsaken through sin. But in the age to come, that will all be restored, and we will reign over all of God's earth and heavens and have dominion. Paul said that we would reign, and Jesus said that we would reign on the basis of our faithfulness. And so this is why it's so important for us to understand about this future glorification, because it is impacted by how we are faithful here and now. Paul says that we will be rewarded based on what we have done. No condemnation, simply a reward given. We have a glorified presence, person, and purpose aspects to come that are promises that we are told about in order to cultivate faithfulness here and now. Second Peter 1 says that because of these precious and magnificent promises, you and I are able to escape the corruption that's in the world due to lust. We're able to partake in the divine nature and live now accordingly. But they are not ours just yet. You know, when we walked in that park, we saw that turret but we could not see that castle fully. Jesus says that they are the promise to come. You know, recently I was with a friend and he had told me about a co-worker who had just come to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. And as we were there visiting, he out of the blue got a text message. And he said to me, oh, this is that person that I told you about that just received Christ at work, and he, he says, look at this with me. And we look at it and it says, John 16.33, awesome. And I'm cataloging in my mind. I didn't have a Bible right in front of me. I'm like, you know, I think that's a place where Jesus says in the world you'll have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. He went and got his Bible, and sure enough, that was it. And I thought, man, there's someone who gets it. They did not come to Christ expecting that everything was going to get better right here and now, but rather that they were going to have trouble here and now, and the future glory would await them. 
glorification is our promised inheritance in the future, but there's another aspect of your inheritance and mine that comes to bear on our lives right here and now, and it's suffering. The children of God, secondly, receive suffering in the presence. Now, no one get up and leave right yet. This is necessary. This is needful. To be children of God, to be associated with Jesus Christ, is to be associated with a faith that has a guaranteed path to suffering. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's not a popular message today, is it? We don't proclaim this as we are attempting to grow our churches. We don't proclaim this as we are attempting to make Jesus Christ appear attractive to unbelievers. But if you look at the book of Acts and you look at every instance of persecution, what you will see is the church grew. Following a spell of persecution, what happens? The church grows. Listen, if you and I don't have a proper understanding of the nature of saving faith in this fallen world, we will never endure, we will never persevere, we will lose heart. It's not that I don't believe in the perseverance of the saints, but I'm telling you that if your theology is one that says, I'm coming to Christ because I want Him to clean up my life, I want to get rid of all of the problems that I'm having right now, you need to understand that that may or may not happen. That's not a guarantee, but there is a guarantee, and that is that if you live a life that is solidly and, and certainly following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, you and I will suffer persecution. In salvation, we have entered into the realm of God's kingdom. We can see the top of the turret of the castle, but the full glory is not yet visible. It is obstructed by what lies ahead in this world. It's interesting, as I studied this passage, I came across several who had noted that this idea of glorification is always, it's always accompanied by suffering. The only way to glory is on a path marked with suffering. Suffering is the way that God fits you and I for the glory that awaits us. Can I get an amen from our biblical counselor? <laughs> amen. You say, well, you know, maybe that's what this verse means, but do you have any other proof from Scripture? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot, thankfully. Philippians 1.29 tells us that it has been appointed to you not only to believe, but to suffer on His behalf. In other words, you believe in Jesus Christ, you've got some, some appointed suffering ahead. Acts 14.22 records the end of Paul's first missionary trip he circles around to check on those disciples that they have made as they went out. And it says that in the text that they were encouraging these young disciples and reminding them that through many tribulations, through much suffering, in other words, we must enter the kingdom of God. Hebrews 11 reminds us of the testimony of Moses. Hebrews 11, 24 and 26. Listen, I'll read it for you. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, refused uh, the glory of the Egyptian kingdom. 
and all of the privileges that it offered, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. There it is. What a witness, what a testimony of the suffering here and now because of the reward laid up for you and I. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather be given false hope that your life in Christ is going to be rosy and easy? And, and when it isn't, it's because you have a weak faith. Oh, if you only believed a little more, then God could break down those mountains of, of uh, obstacles in front of you. Or would you rather hear the truth that Jesus taught, that Paul taught, which will sustain you through hard times? It's kind of a non-question, isn't it? But it really comes down to that. So Paul tells us the truth that if we suffer, we will be glorified. Notice in this verse, notice in verse 17, there's no uncertainty about it. If indeed we suffer so that, in order that, we may be glorified with Him. In other words, suffering is not optional. In other words, this passage has no shelf life. This passage has no expiration date. It wasn't for another time and culture. We have been appointed for suffering because we've been left in a world. Listen, this is so important. We've been appointed for suffering because we've been left in a world that hates Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ represents God's authority over all of His creation. Suffering should be our experience if we are living differently than the world and yet still in the midst of the world. That's so important. Living distinct lives in the midst of the world, not, not cloistered off so that we could avoid it. Jesus said in His Beatitudes that you are blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, when you're living righteous lives and you get persecuted for it. Peter says that we will be, will be maligned because we make people feel bad about their sinful lives. Jesus said we will be blessed when we are insulted, falsely spoken of for His sake. Now I've got your interest peaked because so many of us can say, you know what, that's not really my testimony. I'm not really suffering for my faith. I do believe, why am I not suffering let me let me tell you how we suffer let me tell you how to suffer let me tell you how to embrace and receive the suffering that has been appointed for you and I it's really quite simple first of all live a righteous life live a righteous life shun evil and do what is good and do it in the world not in a holy huddle so often, we as Christians like to live our lives out in these holy huddles where no one will be offended because everyone else believes what we believe, and so therefore we're not suffering because we're not offending anyone. I am so thankful that Bethany Community is meeting here in this public place, and it affords you the opportunity to get involved in the lives of unbelievers people that you see here on a Sunday morning, people that you see here throughout the week if you come and, 
and use this facility, use the library. And so you have to get involved in unbelievers' lives and show that you are living a markedly different life. Not simply because you homeschool, not simply because you have compassion for the orphan and the widow, but that you do that because you love Jesus Christ and therefore you are loving others. And not only are you loving others, but you're willing to love others when it's inconvenient. That's what all of those things demonstrate. And when you are living in that way, externally, visibly to a watching world, it gives you a platform. It gives you a pulpit. You have become, as Scripture says, the aroma of Christ to God. To some, you are death to death, but others, you are life to life. In other words, to those who are perishing, they hate your message. They hate your inconvenient love. But to those whom God is drawing to Himself, they see a difference and they want to know. And you receive a pulpit because you're living righteously. But secondly, when you get that pulpit, don't forsake it. Preach Christ. Preach Christ and Him crucified. We live, when we live righteously, we gain an audience and people, especially our persecutors, want to know what we could possibly believe that would sustain us in righteous living, in forsaking sin, in embracing righteous living. We gain the privilege to give a reason for the hope that we have, don't we? And when we evangelize and become these evangelists with this pulpit, here's what's going to happen. Okay, you ready? We're going to suffer. We are going to suffer because not all want to hear that message. When we are willing to proclaim Christ as crucified, when we are willing to proclaim Christ as resurrected, when we are willing to proclaim Christ as the exclusive way to God, we will be persecuted. Why? Because His cross means that we are sinners. Because His resurrection means that He has been appointed judge. Because His exclusivity means that the way is narrow that there are not many ways to God, but there is one way. We will become persecuted because exclusivity, exclusivity, that's a hard word to say at the end of a message, exclusivity is not the language of our day. But understand that our message will draw others to Christ. Our message proclaimed with our lives and our lips is a message that places all of our emphasis on the inheritance, the future to come. You know, when I saw that castle fully in Orlando, in Disney, several weeks ago, you know, I heard the audible squeals of my three youngest, but there was one in me too. I'm going to admit it. It's the first time I had been down there and it was awesome. It pales, though, in comparison to what awaits you and I. If you are a child of God, would you commit with me this morning to living godly in Christ, to embracing the persecution that will come about because you are committed to living for Jesus Christ and suffering as God brings it in your path? 
Would you commit that with me? If you are here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, then can I remind you that everything that you are placing your hope in, everything that you are banking on in this life will disintegrate at death and then you will face judgment. But God desires that none perish. That none perish. That you not perish. You're here this morning and you're hearing once again the Gospel. The Gospel says that yes, indeed, you and I are sinners. That you and I deserve condemnation because of our rebellion against the true King who has created us for His purpose, for His glory. But that God is willing that none perish, that all come to repentance. And so He has sent us His Son so that you might receive forgiveness of your sins and eternal life in Him that you might recognize that there are no kingdoms here on earth that will be established forever except for the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. As I proclaim that to you, if today you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Come to Christ. Come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the eternal life that He promises. I want to close in prayer. And as I close in prayer, I want to pray for anyone who may be here this morning who has placed all of their hopes thus far in this world, but is willing this morning to receive Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To look forward in the age to come to seeing that glorious kingdom, but for here and now to embrace the suffering by His grace and by His power that can be endured through the Holy Spirit. Father, I understand that I am a sinner and that I can't earn or deserve your kingdom, but that Jesus Christ has come and purchased for me entrance into the kingdom, has died for my sins, has risen to be my judge and states no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and will come again to receive me to himself. And Father, I place my faith in him. And I ask that you would grant me what your promise is to every believer the Holy Spirit to live in me, to help me to walk in your ways. And Father, I will give you all the thanks and praise in His name, in Jesus' name. Father, we thank You for this passage. We thank You for a theology that is righted by Your Word so that we straighten out what is made crooked by the ways of the world. That we understand that suffering has been granted to those who believe so that we might embrace it and live godly in Christ Jesus. And we give you all the thanks and praise this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.